today we talk about this idea of why does it even matter, okay? And so here's the thing. If you're not sure why it matters um, that we're so intentional about outreach this time of year or those things, then, then really tune in here as we, as we get into this uh, because we're going to talk about why does it matter so much? Why does it even matter? Well, it matters because, as we've said all along, Jesus stepping into human history is the most significant event the world has ever seen. He's the most prominent, important figure in history. And so this matters because salvation is at the other end of it. Okay? But that's the textbook Sunday school answer that I would imagine all of you had coming into here. You're like, okay, well, why does, why does the, the incarnation, that's Jesus coming in flesh, God in flesh, why does the incarnation matter? Well, it matters because uh, Jesus came and, and that allows us to be Christians when we follow Jesus, and that's all fine and good, and that's a good Sunday school answer for that, but here's what I'm going to tell you. It's more than that. It's more uh, complicated than that, um, and it's more awesome. That's awesome, but it's more awesome than that, and so as we track through this here, I want you to understand a couple of things. Um, okay, first things first, um, we're going to look here, Luke 1, uh, 30 through 33. You've got a chunk of it up on the screen, but I'm going I'm to read it for you here. And, and we've been tracking this Christmas story, and, and you know this, and you know it well, but there's a couple of things that we're going to pick out of here. Okay, uh, let's start with verse 30. Uh, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. So uh, setting the stage here, you know this, uh, but in case this is the first time you've ever heard about Christmas, um, then let me tell you what's happening here. Um, The angel Gabriel is visiting Mary and is communicating to her, and Mary is startled because it's not every day that an angel comes and talks to you. And if it is every day that an angel comes and talks to you, we need to have a conversation. Um, Because one, I want to hang out with you, um, or two, we might need some intervention. But either way, um, the angel comes and and is talking to Mary, and and the first thing he says, because she's confused and disturbed, um, he says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So that's code for this is going to be a good visit with an angel, okay? Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, and and that's a big deal. Okay, and it's a big deal, not just because this is the announcement of Jesus, but some of the things that the angel says in the announcement should tell us that there's something um, intense and extreme that's about to happen here. One is we see... That, that he'll be called Most High. So we already know, uh, we talked last week just briefly before the children's program about the virgin birth and why this is so necessary, okay? And that he'll be um, called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. We know this. But here's where, here's where we start to, to deviate a little bit from what's expected. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So there's something that happens here that the angel's telling us that that starts to clue us in that this is of a substantially different quality. That Jesus' kingdom is going to be something that the world has not ever seen before. See, David, um, 
He'll, the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And David was far and above the best king that Israel ever had. In fact, when David became king, you know, the, the history uh, is that uh, there was no king. Uh, they were supposed to be something called the theocracy, okay, where, where um, God led the nation and the people would follow God's laws and God's system and then everything would be great. And that would still be true today. If we could get an entire nation to follow God's law and God's system, we wouldn't need a government. We'd have a theocracy. We'd be following God. Okay? It doesn't work that way in a fallen world and it didn't work that way for Israel. They demanded a king. God gave them what they wanted. They regretted it immediately because they had Saul as the first king, head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked the part of king, but his heart was weak, and it was wicked, and it was selfish, and it was timid, and it was scared, and it was all of these things that a godly man should never be. And so he sinned, and, and, and God, uh, even though he offered him, look, you will have a man on the throne forever if you'll just follow me. He broke covenant with God. He did his own thing. God rejected him and elevated in due time David to be king. David becomes king. David unites Israel. David conquers the enemies of the nation of God, and, and, and everyone is subject to it. And, and David now has, because God has blessed him, created this nation where he sits on the throne. And God has promised, as long as, uh, well, God has promised, period, because of this something called the Davidic covenant, you will always have a man on the throne. Somebody from your line, David, Somebody from your lineage will always be king over Israel. This right here is the high point of the nation of Israel. Guess how long it lasted? A generation and a half. It lasted David's reign as king, and then half of Solomon's, his son. In fact, Solomon sinned so badly against David, that God ripped 10 of the 12 tribes, the majority of the kingdom, ripped them away from Solomon's lineage, David's lineage. He always left a man from David's family on the throne because that was the promise that he made. But he gave the other 10 kingdoms what we then know as the northern tribes, the northern kingdoms of Israel, southern kingdoms, David's kingdom, Solomon, that's known as Judah. Okay, When we read through uh, the Old Testament history. That's known as Judah. The northern tribes are known as Israel. God rips Israel away a generation and a half. That's how long it lasted. At the height of power, at the height of their world supremacy, at the height of everything, of all of the blessings that God had poured out on David, at the height of all of this, it lasted 60 years. 60 years it lasted. And then God has to come in and intervene because the human heart is wicked and because they went their own way. But now the angel says to Mary, hey, he's going to sit on the throne of his ancestor David. Remember how I promised there'd always be a king in that lineage? Well, this is it. Jesus is coming. He's going to sit on the throne of his ancestor David and his kingdom won't last a generation and a half. His kingdom won't get ripped away from him. His kingdom will never end. See, right away what we're reading there is something that is altogether unheard of. I mean, there have always been world powers. There have always been world powers. 
Egypt was the world power at the time of Moses. It ended. The Assyrians were this terrible, awful, intense world power that wiped out the northern tribes of Israel because of their wickedness and sin. They ended. The Babylonians came along, and they were even more awesome than the Assyrians were. More powerful, conquered more land, more feared. They failed. Then it was the Medes and the Persians. Then it was the Greeks. And at this time, it's Rome. A world power like no one has ever seen. But we know, we know the history. Rome falls. And now we live in a day and age, well, we've, we've passed the day and age of, of superpowers, national superpowers. Um, and now we have small um, factions and things happening in the middle. Powers rise, powers fall. But God makes this statement here through the angel Gabriel to Mary. You're pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. I'm going to give him the throne of his ancestor David, and his kingdom will never end. It's something of an altogether higher quality. You're like, why does that matter? Why does that matter to me? Well, it matters to you because there's something about that that brings hope. See, so you've got these jars up here. We're going we're gonna to have a little experiment. This is a youth group kind of experiment. I'd have Vince do this for us, except Vince has gone with some high school kids at a retreat. They're singing, they're praying, they're, they're learning all about uh, the God of the universe. It's good stuff, but he's not here to pour for me. So, um, But you've got these jars here, these jars that, that show us um, where hope is. And I'll, we'll, we'll do this experiment a little differently than Vince did, but this is going to tell us where hope is in the history of, of uh, Israel, starting with Abraham. Abraham, um, now when Abraham comes on the scene, uh, there is no nation of Israel. There's no nation of Israel. Israel doesn't exist. But God says, Abraham, I'm calling you out of unlikely circumstances. I'm going to take you and your wife, who's barren, by the way, and above childbearing age, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. You'll have so many offspring that, that you won't be able to count them. They'll be like sand on the seashore. It'll be incredible. And so at this point with Abraham, we have hope that is incredible. The hope is high. And the hope's high because we have this thing that's been promised, but then it wanes uh, and forever goes by. And then finally he has a child. Okay, finally he has a child. Uh, and then we get Jacob and Esau. And you know about Jacob and Esau. And he gets Isaac. Forgive me, Vince got my cups out of order. We'll talk to him about that when he gets back. We have, we have Isaac. And Isaac is weak-willed. But eventually, okay, eventually God blesses him with two children. Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau, they fight, they struggle. But through Jacob, God brings the 12 children, the 12 tribes of Israel. You know that story, right? It happens in Genesis. It, it, and one of those children is Joseph. So we have Joseph plus the 11. Okay? And, and unfortunately, with Joseph and the 11, even though they're the children of the promise and God tells them, I'm going to make you into this great nation. There's famine, there's family turmoil. The brothers, in case you don't know, in case you've never seen Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, the brothers sell him off into slavery in Egypt. 
And God does something miraculous through Joseph in Egypt. And at the end of the story, though, all of Israel has now moved from the land of Canaan. All of Israel has now moved and eventually become slaves in Egypt. And hope is low. It's at an all-time low. Because they become slaves in Egypt. And they're beaten and they're oppressed. And they know, they know there's hope, but, but they can't see it, they can't figure it out, they can't follow it, it's low. But then God calls Moses, and the people are delivered. The people are delivered, and they go, and, and they're setting up a new nation with new laws, and God says, I'm going to be with you, and, and, and you'll follow me, and I, I'll be with you, and I'll teach you, and, and I will be a nation for all people set up here through Israel, uh, and, and it's good um, until we get to Judges. And what happens in Judges? Do they follow God? No. What does it tell us? Every man does what's right in his own eyes. And when every man does what's right in his own eyes, guess what happens to hope? Hope disappears. Hope's not there. Every once in a while, in the book of Judges, um, God will, will raise up. I must have a leak somewhere. Ooh, it's going to be bad to clean up. I'm sorry about that. Um, every once in a while, God will raise up a judge that will free the people from the captivity that they're in, that will free them from the bondage. And for the lifetime of that judge, they will live good, holy lives. They'll follow. But as soon as that judge dies, what happens? They spiral again. They start to do what's right in their own eyes. Because none of this has ever been about God for them. It's always about what's easiest. And then we get David. And when David is king, anticipation is high. And then his son Solomon. And at the height of Solomon's reign, I'm out of water, so you'll just have to imagine that this is going to be all the way full. It's high. It's really high. But then because of Solomon's sin, we're divided to two kingdoms. And then because of the sin of Israel, the Assyrians wiped them out in God's judgment. And all of a sudden, we're down to just one kingdom. The 12 tribes that were the epicenter of the world during the reign of David and Solomon is down to just two tribes in Jerusalem that reign, and they're weak. And then hope is gone because of their sin. God sends them into captivity. That's when David and Ezekiel write their books that we have in the Old Testament. There is no hope. The nation is scattered. But God calls them back, and then there's silence. And what happens when there's silence is God starts to build this holy anticipation. There's 400 years of silence between the last prophetic book. That's why our Bible ends with Malachi. Okay? When, when, when God gives his last prophetic vision, and then there's silence for 400 years until the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary. There's silence. And you would think that in the silence that hope would start to dissipate and disappear and wane. But what happens is it's in the silence that God starts to build this holy anticipation in the people. It's in the silence that God starts to build this grand excitement about what's about to happen. Because every year, as the silence builds, it becomes deafening. God is not speaking to the people. They're under bondage from Rome. They're under bondage. It's bad. It's awful. There is nothing good happening here in terms of, the, of their religious freedom and their nature. But, but 
God is starting to build this anticipation that something new is about to happen, something he's been promising since the garden, this idea of a Messiah coming and fixing and changing things. And then all of the sudden, hope shows up because God bursts in, okay? And, and, and at first, I said, I said Gabriel talking to Mary. First, first it happens with Zechariah as, as the angel says, hey, you're now going to have a child, and, and it's going to be what we know as John the Baptist, and he is going to shout at people, make straight paths for the Lord, prepare your hearts for the way of the Lord, get yourself cleaned up because the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we have Jesus, and the angel tells Mary, hey, you are going to have a child, a special child. The timing is perfect now. We talked about that week one of this series. Mary says, I'm a virgin. How can this be? And God says, no, no, no. This is why this is so cool. God says, this is of a different quality. The Holy Spirit will overpower you. And you'll have this child who now will be fully human because it comes from a human mother, but fully divine because his nature is God, something completely different. We call that the hypostatic union, fully God, fully man, something completely different, and hope spikes because Jesus brings hope. Now, you, you know the story. You know it doesn't last long because the people were looking for a political ruler. They were looking for another David. They were looking for another David who would come in or another Moses who would come in and, and who would lead the people um, into political freedom and they would once again become the epicenter of um, the world and everyone would look to them uh, with political intrigue and influence and power. And so it doesn't last long, but hope peaks this moment, and it, and it peaks because of this statement. He is going to be a ruler unlike any ruler that's ever existed. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. It changes everything. Go back to our mission statement. This is our Advent mission statement. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Why does this matter to us? Because God sent him to buy freedom for you who are under the law. Remember the law. Moses brings the law. When God is establishing his reign over Moses... God brings the law. You know what the law's purpose was? The law's purpose was to uh, make light, not make light of, but bring your sin to light. See, God creates you perfectly. God creates humanity perfectly. And God creates us because he wants to have this relationship with us. He wants this relationship with us. He wants to have this, and then we sin. Adam and Eve, they eat uh, of the tree, in, in the garden, um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, sin enters the world, the relationship is broken. And so what God does, because he desires to have a relationship with us, is God sends through Moses in the nation of Israel the law. And the law does two things. The law brings your sin and your wrong to light. It names it. See, it's not like before the law was established, people were doing good things. People were so wicked that God sent a flood, okay? Uh, people were so wicked that God scatters them and their language. But what happens is that God brings the law so that we can now name sin. 
that when we start to worship something that's not the one true God of the universe, it's now named. Commandment number one, I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me. When I start to desire and try to sneakily worm my way in and take what my neighbor has that doesn't belong to me, it's now named. It's now named, right? Because I'm not supposed to covet my neighbor's goods and I'm not supposed to steal. God has named through the law what sin is. He's given it a name and he's given it a consequence, but then because God loves us and he still desires that relationship, here's what he says. Second part of the law is this. He says, and so now here's a way for you to be covered. And he institutes something called a sacrificial system. And in the sacrificial system, because I now know I'm guilty under the law, I know that I've sinned against the law. I can go now and I can make a sacrifice in this sacrificial system so that I can be covered from my sin. The blood of the lamb, okay, the blood of the sacrifice now cleanses me for a moment and covers my sin so that I'm okay and God and I can be in communion and relationship for a time. Because I understand through the law where I'm broken, and I make atonement through this sacrifice so that God and I will be okay, but it's temporary. It's always been temporary. It doesn't last. Okay? And that's the law that the author, that Paul in Galatians is talking about. So here's why God sent, this is why it matters. Here's why God sends Jesus. It says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Well, we're slaves to the law because we keep breaking it no matter what we do. We're slaves to the law because even though we know we don't want to, I mean, you've been there. I know you've been there. I'm there all the time. Like, I know I don't want to do that, and then I do that. Paul talks about it. He says, I do the very thing I don't want to do, and I don't do the thing that I want to do. It's like, I know I don't want to sin. I know I don't want to do this. I know I don't want to feel this way. I know I don't want to lust for that. I know I don't want to, want, want to partake in all of this, and I, I know that's the case, but what do I do? I keep doing it anyway because we're slaves to the law. And we're slaves to the system because to be right with God, then we come with another sacrifice and we're cleansed for a minute and then I walk away from the sacrifice and I do the same stupid thing over again because I'm a slave to the law. But not with Jesus. See, because what I read here is that when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of a woman, we talked about this last week, so that he would be subject to the law but also born of God, so he is perfect. He doesn't break the law. See, that's why the virgin birth matters so much, right? Because I'm born to a woman, which makes Jesus subject to the same law we were subject to, except he's from God, which means he's perfect, which means he doesn't break the law the way that I do. And so he came subject to the law to buy freedom for those of us that are slaves to the law. Why? Get this part. This is the part that should blow your mind. This is the part that I am convinced. If you understood this, if you got this, if you grasped this in your heart, it would revolutionize your relationship with God. Why? So that you could be adopted as his very own children. See, some of us have this idea about the God of the universe that he forgives us Okay, almost begrudgingly. That he forgives us, but he's not really excited about it. Having this conversation, actually just, just talking with Mike as we were praying this morning, just talking about this, but having this conversation um, with a guy, about a guy um, who, who is struggling at the end of his life, 
struggling to accept the fact that God is going to forgive him at the end of his life because he'd missed so many opportunities to trust God and to surrender to God and to follow God while he was living the way he wanted to live. And now he's at this point where he's, he's just not sure that God is really going to say, yes, now that you're desperate, I'll forgive you. Now that you're desperate, I'll still take you. And maybe we're not at that extreme, but, but a lot of us here, because we're not at the, necessarily at the end of our life, but a lot of us here, we have this idea that, well, God will forgive us, but he's going to forgive us begrudgingly. He's going to forgive us because he has to. He's going to forgive us because he promised to, but he doesn't really want to. But here's the truth. This is the reality. God sent Jesus to buy freedom for those of us that were slaves under the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Listen to me. You don't adopt someone you don't want. You, you don't go through the financial hardship and the emotional hardship and the turmoil and the stress to adopt someone that you don't want. Some of you here know that firsthand. Some of you here have adopted. Some of you here have been adopted. And you know that you were adopted because you were wanted and desired and sought after and chased after at great hardship because you were worth it. You, you've heard me tell you about Riley before. I mean, it was no small, easy, cheap, or emotionally stable feat for Carrie and I to adopt Riley. And, and I don't mean to keep harping on that. I mean, many of you have your own stories that you could share, but, but we chased after her, not because we were obligated to do so, but because we desired her so that she could then be ours. Not out of hardship, not out of necessity, but so that she would be ours. So get this now. When we adopted her, and, and some of you, again, you know this well, they issued us a new birth certificate that she was born to us, that I am now her legal, biological father, according to the state. According to every law that matters, Carrie gave birth to her. Why? Because she's been adopted. It's irrevocable. It's done. She's now part of the family. She will forever be as loved as Travis and Aubrey. Some days, maybe more. <laughs> I'm kidding. Some days liked more because she was the first one to move out. some days less, depending on what happens. But she will always be as loved as our, as our natural biological children. She might do things that frustrate us, but she will never be cast away. And this is what I need you to understand. This is what should revolutionize the way that you view your relationship with God. All of this happened so that God could adopt you as his very own children. You are not a have to for God. God did all of this. The incarnation matters. God did all of this so that he could have the privilege of adopting you as children. That's why all of this matters. See, the whole point of Christmas is, and you heard Lisa pray this, 
okay? And, and you heard uh, Barb and Brent talk about this as they lit the candles. The whole point of Christmas is the cross. The whole point of Jesus' birth was his death. You can't have the cross without Christmas. See, and where the cross brings redemption, you know what the manger brings? The manger brings hope. The manger brings this idea of something altogether new. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. So here's the deal. The reason that now you are able to be in this relationship with the God of the universe, that you don't need to come here with a lamb to sacrifice, that you don't need to come here to be covered under the blood of an animal that you sacrifice, the reason that you are free from the law, not free to sin like crazy, but the reason you are free from the law is because of this adoption that's happened. When you are a Christian, when you follow Jesus, you have been adopted, okay? And this is what happens. God takes your sin, okay? God takes your sin, and he hangs it on the cross where Christ was. Jesus, who knew no sin, took on your sin so that, in turn, you could take on the family name. You think of it that way. When we adopted Riley, when you adopted your children, when you were adopted, what happened is, is they gave up their past on paper so that they could take on your family name and heritage. And that's what happens here. Jesus takes our sin, who knew no sin, he was perfect, but he takes our sin so that we might take on the family name. We might take on the righteousness of God. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Okay? I'm convinced that if we really understood the nature and reality of our adoption, it would change the nature of our relationship with the God of the world. And so as we, as we kind of come to a close, that's right, I said it. As we come to a close, okay, Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, here's what I want you to know. Christmas is for you, period. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, Christmas is for you. But I want you to listen to me. Christmas is especially for you if you're feeling hopeless. If you're feeling beat up, if you're feeling worthless, Christmas is for you. If you're feeling like there is no hope, Christmas is for you especially. You know, there are, th this, this room um, is just a small picture of what the world is like. Okay, so I'd imagine that these people exist in this room, but I am positive they exist in Vinton and around the world. It's one of the reasons why Christmas Eve is so critical. Okay, but Christmas is for those of us that are so heartbroken because we've lost loved ones, especially children, especially children, because that's just unnatural. Christmas is for those of us that feel so heartbroken that we can't possibly imagine that it's ever going to be okay again. There's hope in the manger because there's redemption at the cross. It fixes everything. Christmas is for those of you who just are, are right now. I know, I know you're there. It's 1030 in the morning on a Sunday morning and you're already jonesing for your next drink. Christmas is for you because there's hope. 
and redemption. Prostitutes, adulterers. Christmas is for those of us who've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Those of us that, that if, if we didn't have social media, we would absolutely be alone. Christmas is for us too. Like, like you know that if you keep smoking, that it will kill you. But you just can't seem to quit. Christmas is for you. See, this is the thing that we understand because we have been grafted into the family of God. Our sin is gone. The righteousness of God is available for us when we just choose Jesus. Why does this matter? This matters because God wants to take you and your jacked up, messed up life, and he wants to take you and he wants to bring you into the family of God. And if you've already decided to follow Jesus, then he's already done that for you and you just need to live like it. Your marriage is out of control and you're like, it's over. There's nothing I can do to fix it. Christmas is for you. Had a conversation with someone just not that long ago that, that um, and, and I know where it came from. It came from this area of just hopelessness and feeling depressed and it's over, I think. The, the, the bounce back has happened, but it was there in the first place, which hurts me because it was my mom who, who said to me, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to have another Christmas because of some health concerns that she's been having. Christmas is for her too. Like it doesn't matter. Like whatever garbage you've got, whatever pain, whatever, this is why I'm convinced that if we really understood what it means to be adopted into the family of God, that it would revolutionize the way we think because there is hope. There's hope. Because he who knew no sin became sin so that we then in turn could become the righteousness of God. We could take the family name and we could live as heirs in this kingdom of God. And I hesitate to say live as heirs in the kingdom of God. And I hesitate to say it for this one reason. Because I don't want you to get all health and wellness gospel crazy with me. Because that's what we always hear with the, the health and prosperity gospel stuff is, oh, the kingdom of God is yours. You just need to name it and claim it. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about right? I mean, it, it doesn't just fix everything because we understand that we are children of God, but it revolutionizes the way we understand. The God of the universe has wanted us and has pulled us into his family, and it changes everything. God doesn't forgive you begrudgingly. God doesn't forgive you because he has to. God pursues you, God loves you, he paid a high price for you so that you could be adopted and known as children of God. It's that simple. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the manger that, that you, when the time was right, sent your son, born of a woman, under the law to rescue us who were slaves to the law and bring us into the family of God. Only you would do that. Only you 
would take those steps at just the right time in just the right way out of a deep love and desire to have us. Father, I confess to you that I am not worthy of that love and I revel in the fact that you love me anyway. And God, I ask you to help me and for all of us here, help us to live as children of the God of the universe. Father, we pray a blessing uh, on those that are still struggling with health. We are, uh, as Malia said, we're so thrilled to see uh, Christy and Ardell this morning, but we pray that they continue uh, to get stronger and to grow healthy. We, we continue to pray for Scott uh, Van Way as he's in hospice. Uh, we pray for his family as they continue to minister to him with the gospel. Uh, we pray for the Christmas Eve service that's coming up. We just, there are so many prayer concerns. Jim McClenning is ill, uh, continues to be ill, and we, we pray that, uh, that, that he'll find some healing and some answers. Uh, and, and there are so many other things, um, Father, to, to lift up before you. Um, but in my heart, I especially am thinking of those that are hurting and grieving the loss of loved ones at Christmas. Moms, dads, children, good friends. Uh, this is a time of year where um, everybody else is singing and praising and, and enjoying, but, but for some of us, the the pain and the grief is, is almost unbearable. Father, I pray that you'll just come alongside those people and that you'll give them peace and comfort that is just crazy, that just passes any human understanding. Father, help us as the church to come around those this time of year that need love and support. Father, I pray for our invitations for Christmas Eve that, uh, that they'll find willing ears that as we invite coworkers and neighbors and friends and family, um, all of them, sure, but especially those that don't understand the gospel, I pray that, that, that they'll find ears that are receptive, uh, schedules that are open. God, we just, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for all things. We ask you to take this offering too and just multiply it, use it, help us to bring people uh, to the foot of the cross. God, we love you and praise you. Amen.